The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you as almighty creator. You are maker of heaven and earth. And when you stepped back and saw the things that you have made, you declared it good. Father, we adore you because you are creator God. We adore you because you are the sustainer of, God, of all things. Father, we adore you because you are good. Father, but we confess that we have not lived for your goodness and your glory, but we have desired things that do not satisfy, like chasing after the wind. We confess, Father, it is only in you do we find satisfaction. It is only in fellowship with you do we find joy. Thank you that you did not leave us to chase after the wind, to drink the salt water of the pleasures of this world that do not satisfy and slowly destroy us, but because you are a gracious and merciful God, you poured out your wrath on Christ. You treated him as we deserved. And you have wrapped us with a righteousness that does not belong to us, that does not originate for us, that we do not want but by your grace and mercy, you loved us and gave us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that love. You created in us a new heart. You washed us and you purified us and you declared us your child and you're making us like Jesus. You are bringing in us that family resemblance that is not our own, but you are making us like Jesus. Father, we come to you and we ask that you would guide us that you would overwhelm us, that you would reveal to us your character, and that would cause our emotions to stir up, our passions to move, that we desire and delight in fellowship with God that overflows in love and obedience, that obeying you and following you is not a duty, but it's a joy. Father, show us what it is this morning to find our desire and our delight in you, that we may have fullness of joy everlasting. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We um, are on our third uh, sermon uh, of Advent, and a sermon that I have titled, The Light of Joy. And when you hear the word joy, what comes to your mind? It's my joy, or I'm seeking joy, or I want joy, or some of you may say, I don't have joy. Now, there is, uh, we need to define what joy is. And so, I don't usually do this, but I went to Webster's Dictionary to be able to see what joy is, and you have it right here. Joy is not only a noun, but it's a verb. First, it's the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. 
Joy is a feeling that we have. Or, Webster says this, and Noah Webster knew what he was talking about because he was from Connecticut, and everybody from Connecticut are very smart. <laughs> the prospects of possessing what one desires. And joy is also a verb. Joy is to experience great pleasure or delight or to rejoice. Now this week as I have studied, I thought, what do I, when I think of joy, what are pictures, literal pictures, that come to my mind? Well, the first picture that I thought of when I think of joy is um, our wedding day, when I, by the grace of God, married up to a wonderful woman, and that day, May 22nd, 1999, I was able to, to commit my life and prayerfully spend the rest of our lives together. Uh, and second picture was just about six years ago in a hospital in Ohio, after many long years and months of fervent prayers and tears, about an hour after Crosby's birth mother put him in Denise's arms, we took this picture. And I see this picture and I think of joy. This was a desire that we had, that this desire is now fulfilled. And another picture I have, and I, I think Denise knew this picture was coming, is joy that when I watch my children pursue their passions and sports. And you can see here, uh, Anna clearly has just got a, a, a really big point. I believe this was the, one of the state semifinal games last year, and they got a point, and that right there, that's Leah, or not, that's not Leah, that's Rachel in the blue, and Heather and Anna, that's pure joy. They had, are experiencing what they have worked for months. And then you have my son to the right, Andrew, playing football and running in passion, years and months of sacrifice and pain and being screamed at, he is loving the fact that he can play football. And that brings them great joy. And it brings me great joy to sit in the, in, the, in the stands and watch them play and watch them pursue the things that brings them joy. So I ask you this morning, as we consider what joy is, what brings you joy? And for everyone here, there's probably a different answer. It may be eating your favorite food, creating something with your hands, singing in the shower, and including those of us who can't sing, but we, it sounds great when we're in the shower. Listening to good music, sitting on the back porch on a quiet summer afternoon or spring afternoon, reading a good book, walking your dog, playing with your kids or your grandkids, a home improvement pro project, playing golf, knitting a, a quilt, wrestling with your opponent, or as Larry says, choking one of your friends, that brings Larry joy, you know, the jujitsu type, I guess there's, they're odd like that. And then writing a poem. There are many things in this world that bring us joy, and why is that? Well, in Sunday school, we see God steps back from the things that he created after the sixth day and sees everything that he's created, and what did he say? They're very good. Not just good, but they're very good. God has created a world that is very good, that there are pleasures and joys and delights that are expressions of who he is and a reflection of his character. And when we partake in those good things with glad and sincere hearts, we find joy in doing that. 
and holding a baby and playing volleyball and football and all these various things, people, we find joy. Why? Because we have a good God who's created good things for his people to enjoy. There are many words in Scripture to be able to define what joy is. We have a word, one little word, joy. But in Scripture, that experience of enjoying the pleasures of good things that God has created are in words like um, joy and happiness, pleasure, gladness, and rejoicing. Now this morning, I'm... as you notice, our text is very small. It's one little verse, and it's going to give us the parameters on, in which the tracks are what we're going to run. And I'm going to bring a lot of verses up on the screen today, so fasten your seatbelts, keep your hands inside your vehicle, and hold on in our quest for joy. But you can see in Scripture, in Proverbs 27, 9, perfume and incense do what? They bring joy to the heart. You smell beautiful things, and it's you, there's joy. The pleasantness, the joy of, of, of experiencing a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Two, uh, you bring forth, the psalmist, wine to gladden the hearts of men. Now, I know many of us are Baptists, and that might be you know, on the contraband list, but it says it in Psalm 104 that wine brings gladness, joy to the heart of men. Then you have the book of Proverbs. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, will experience joy and delight and pleasure from their children. And he who begets a wise child will delight, have joy, and find a pleasure in their child. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you, what? Rejoice! Have joy. There are God has created a good world, and enjoying and delighting in those things brings pleasure. As we turn to Christmas and this Advent season, one of the primary promises of God is joy. Now you ask, where do you get that? Why do you say that Advent is a promise of joy? And the angel said to them, the shepherds are in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night, and the angels of the Lord, angel appeared before them, and as Linus says, they were sore afraid. I'm not sure what sore afraid means, but it's really afraid. And the angel said to them, and he gave them the promise of joy, behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. Not just joy, but great joy. For unto you, this person who is going to bring joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior has come, and this Savior will deliver us from our sins, and one of the primary effects of that will be what? Joy. So we need to know what is this joy that we find in Christ. What is the joy that Christ brings his people, the Savior who redeems us? Is it forgiveness? Is it adoption? Is it peace? Is it spiritual power? Is it material blessing? Or is it something else? Something greater, a a deeper uh, well of riches and a spring of water that brings people and the people of God joy. 
I want you to understand this morning that Christian joy is found when you delight in and desire fellowship with God. Let me repeat that. Christian joy is found when you delight in and desire fellowship with God. And the way I will present this to you for the quiz at the end, delight in fellowship with God, desire the eternal joy of fellowship with God. Ocean Park, we were created to be in fellowship with God. Each Advent season is a reminder that God has redeemed us from the corruption, from the isolation, from the darkness of sin, and he has brought his people into fellowship now and for eternity. Today and for eternity, forever. We have already received a little glimpse of that fellowship that we have with God. We have tasted the sweetness of fellowship with God, which is a foretaste of the of fellowship that we will have in the future. So with that being said, if you're not already there, turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It's on page 819 of your pew Bibles. Our text this morning is this verse. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling through parables what the essence of the kingdom of God is like. And it's a kingdom of supreme worth that is, is uh, worthy to be sacrificed to be able to attain. And Jesus uses this parable of a seemingly poor man, or not uh, independently wealthy, if you will, um, who stumbles across a treasure of incredible worth while he's in a field, digging it or whatever. And, and for us, it's far-fetched. Because we think, what in the world is he digging around in the field, and who puts their money in the field? But if you go back and consider first century times, they did not have banks with safe deposit boxes. So if they were in an area with war or um, marauders or uh, plunderers, what would they have to do to protect their wealth? They would dig and hide it somewhere. Uh, Church history, we know the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, because they were so valuable, they were the word of God, they were hidden in a cave and seemingly forgotten, or the people that hid them were, were killed or something, and generations later, a shepherd was throwing a rock and heard a hollow clink, and, and they found these treasures that they had hidden in a cave in the Dead Sea area, and they discovered the word of God. And this poor man, or, or not independently wealthy man, is digging or whatever he was doing, planting a garden, raising some cabbage, and he discovered this treasure that was hidden in the field. And immediately he recognizes the worth and the value and, uh, of this treasure. And what does he do? He doesn't shout, jump up and say, woohoo, and, and show, go to his friends and in your face, look what I found. What does he do? He hides it. Why does he do that? Because he does not want anybody to know or have a claim to this treasure because he desires this treasure because it is valuable and it is worthwhile. And then he continues 
And he goes and says, I don't own the fields. I don't know why he was there. Jesus doesn't tell, and we can get distracted by details. But he says, if that treasure is to be mine, I must buy the field and get that treasure. So he goes back, and it says he takes all that he has, all the good things he has, all the comforts that he has, all the pleasures that he has, and he willingly, joyfully foregoes those things, sells them to do what? To buy the field. Why? Because there is a treasure of great worth in that field that he delights in and he desires. Joy, Christian joy, is recognizing the worth and the value and the treasure of knowing God, knowing Christ, being in fellowship with Him and delighting in that, knowing the sweetness of His grace, knowing the value of His mercy, knowing the worth of who God is and His value and saying there is nothing that is as worthy as God. And I will gladly give up these good things so I can have this greatest thing, which is fellowship and knowing God. This simple parable says that Christian joy is found when you delight in God, when you get that little taste like at Thanksgiving when your mom or, or probably your mom would give you a little taste of what is to come and you say, ooh, that's good. And you can't wait to get it. And when the, the, heat, the helpings are coming out, you're piling on your plate because you know the sweetness, you know the delicacy of that food, and you want more because it is a delight. And then there is also a desire. And we see this man in the field has already tasted this foretaste of this delight, of this treasure, and he wants more. And that's where joy is found. So we begin by looking at this delight in fellowship with God. In this parable, Jesus says that this man somehow came across this great treasure, discovered its worth, and delights in it, so much so that his joy on tasting that, he wants more of it. So Jesus is telling this kingdom of heaven, and why do we, well, you're talking about the kingdom of heaven, not about God. The kingdom of heaven is of no worth if God is not there. The kingdom of heaven is of great worth because God dwells with his people. And he says anybody who desires the kingdom of heaven is not just desiring gold streets and gold walls and pearly gates. They're desiring the resident, the king of that kingdom, which is God himself. And they delight in to be with God. Quite honestly, when we're in heaven, we probably may not even notice the accoutrements and value of what's around us because we are so fixated on the glory of God. I don't care if what the pearly gates look like, that's Jesus. And that's glorious because we've tasted that and the Lord is good. So fellowship with God, delighting Him, is a treasure of great worth. Knowing God is he, because he is supremely glorious in all creation. Now this is where, as we read through the Psalms, we see that God is glorious. He is uh, something to be delighted in. And, and as we read through, let, notice again, I'm going to hit you with a fire hose of biblical references. You don't need to, to flip there here. 
Taste and see what? That the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 105.5, for the Lord is good. He is delightful. He is pleasurable. He is of supreme worth. His steadfast love endures forever. Unlike the pleasures of this world that eventually fade away, the love and the value and the delight and the joy that is found in fellowship with God continues forever. His faithfulness to all generations. The psalmist continues. Maybe he doesn't continue. The psalmist continues this. So when a person is born again, we don't get a new list of duties. Okay, now I'm a Christian. I put my Christian hat on. I take up my scroll, and I have to follow uh, uh, lists and rules 1 through 10, and maybe also through 235, and I have to do all those things. But what happens is when we get a new heart and a new spirit, we also get a new appetite. We desire things that we had never desired before because the natural man does not desire the things of the world. Now they desire and they delight in and they pursue fellowship with God because it is good. And we can say when we have been born again, we have a new passion and a new desire. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, you O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where shall I, um, when shall I come and before God? Why do we desire God? Because he is good. He is a treasure of great worth. The psalmist continues, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Why? Because we have found and discovered the treasure of delighting in fellowship with God. And it is sweet and it is cool and it is refreshing like a, a deer that longs for God. You are my Lord. And notice, it is so good. Whoop, Margaret, I fell off the stage. I, you've been worrying for years I was going to do that. Lord, you are so good. I have no good apart from you, the psalmist says. The Lord is my chosen portion. He is my desire. He is my delight. These things are good, but God is so much better. We delight in the treasure, in the worth, in the value of our good God. And as we read through Scripture, for those who have delighted and had a taste of the glory and the fellowship of God, from Moses to David, from Isaiah to Paul, knowing God is shown to be a treasure of infinite value, of infinite worth. And dwelling with God in His kingdom becomes a treasure that is to be longed for and delighted in and sacrificed for. It's a treasure that captivates our imagination and awakens a spiritual craving that can be satisfied by nothing else. Nothing compares to the promise, to the treasures, to the value I have in you. Not only is fellowship God Fellowship with God, a treasure of great worth, but fellowship with God produces great joy. See, we're not seeking joy itself as an end. We're seeking God, and a result of that, the byproduct, the result, is that we have joy. Because we can seek joy, and we hear about joy seekers that jump out of airplanes, and they surf, and they go deep into caves, and they do all kinds of crazy stuff, because it's fun, and it's exciting for them. Uh, but, but some of us would be terrified about those things. 
But those are joy seekers. And those things are fun for a little while, but they have to do something else to go a bigger thrill, a bigger high, a bigger excitement. But there's nothing that compares to the joy and the treasure and the value of God because it produces not just joy, but as the angel said, great joy. Like the man who discovered the treasure in the field and desired it for his own, all who have tasted the fellowship of God experience great joy. A joy that overflows when we experience the foretaste of just the little passing glory of our God and the sweetness of our presence. Like a newlywed who, newlyweds who desire the embrace of their new spouse. Like a thirsty traveler who delights in the refreshment of cold water. Like an athlete who delights in the thrill of victory. All who experience genuine fellowship with God delight in Him. They rejoice in His goodness. Their hearts are made glad by His steadfast love. And their emotions overflow with gladness. They find joy. Again, Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. Notice, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Because I'm with my Lord. I am with the nothing it compares to him in all of the universe. At your right hand are pleasures just to be with God. That is the desire of those who have tasted the sweetness and the value of him. Then I will go, in Psalm 43, to the altar of God. What? My exceeding joy. I will praise you with the lyre, the stringed instrument. O God, my God. There is joy in him. Let those who delight in my righteousness do what? Verb. Shout for joy. And be glad. And say evermore, great is the Lord. Why can they say that? Not because of just an intellectual exercise, but but they, they have tasted and see that the Lord is good and they have to tell others about it. It's so good. Like when you see a good movie, when you read a good book, when you hear the latest release of your favorite singer, you want people to know about it. We have tasted of the sweetness of experience of, of fellowship with God and we say, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servants. Fanny Crosby, in her great hymn, Blessed Assurance, gave uh, word to this idea. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. We have joy because I'm with Jesus. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Fanny Crosby knew the delight of fellowship with God. She found rest in his power and his wisdom. She trusted his goodness and lost herself in the love because she experienced the joy of knowing God. She had found the well of living water. She had found the treasure in the field and she was overwhelmed by the love and grace and mercy of, of, our God, of her God. 
Ocean Park, lasting eternal joy can only be found in fellowship with God, for he is a treasure of infinite worth. And like the man who found that treasure in his field and desired it more than anything he owned or experienced or had, those who experience fullness with God, enjoy fellowship with God, know the unending delight of, of him. Christian joy is found when you delight in fellowship with God. When you delight in fellowship with God, but when you also desire the eternal joy, the lasting joy, the infinite joy of fellowship with God. See, in Jesus' parable, in the second part of it, he says, then in his joy, in discovering the value of this treasure, in his joy, what does he do? He goes and sells and, he, and buys that field. He returned home and he took those things that he had enjoyed before that had now grown pale. They had grown dim. They didn't have the succulent taste that they once did because they had tasted of the joy and the delight of fellowship with God. And he said, I am willing to get rid of those things so I can have lasting, infinite, valuable treasure with God. He knew that letting go of lesser treasures enabled him to gain a far greater one. He knew that enduring the loss of lesser joys could not compare with the greatest, greater treasure that awaited him in that field. Therefore, this man gladly traded those treasures, the fleeting treasures, for an eternal, lasting treasure. Those who experience a foretaste of God's glory, his love, his mercy, his kindness and grace today long for the full realization of eternal joy that is yet to come. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Now, Scott's going to be preaching on this in a couple weeks, so I don't want to steal his thunder. Uh, he'd be mad at me. But notice this. Um, Peter is writing to a group of exiles or Christians that are in a pagan world, and the um, empire is about to go and crush them. And he's saying this, though you will lose those joys, those lesser joys that bring you pleasure for a moment, Jesus, the Father, actually, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. Trusting God and his power and the, the, the treasure that is coming and the promise of eternal fellowship with God, our hearts find satisfaction even though we have to give up lesser joys and we lose things. But we know that joy is exclusively found in God. The greatest, most pleasing, most pleasant joy is in fellowship with him. Like a groom desires his bride and anticipates their union as husband and wife, he experiences joy, not only when they're united as one, but the pleasure of pursuing her love. 
desire is part of the, of the satisfaction of joy. We know the promise that we have. We know the hope that we have. And we're desiring that and pursuing that and laying aside anything that's going to get in the way of that. When a child anxiously awaits Christmas morning so she can open her gifts and be able to play with her gifts and enjoy her gifts, that is part of the process of joy. The desire is part of the, of the pleasure, of the satisfaction. So we know that we get a little taste. Oh, the foretaste of glory divine. There will be a day when we receive the full fire hose of God's glory and it will overwhelm us. Right now we have the little morsels that sustain us until we get to the table until we experience that joy in full. As Christians, we experience joy not only when we taste the sweetness of fellowship with God today, but as we anticipate a greater eternal joy that is coming for us in eternity. Therefore, when we know that there is more to come and the best is yet to come, even though this part, this, these little morsels that we've been given are really good and they taste sweet and we want more, we delight in those things. We desire for what's yet to come. We know that earthly sorrows that we experience today do not diminish our desire for the joy of fellowship with God. We live in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. Sin has made a hash of it and has ruined relationships and our bodies and our societies and in our families. But we know and we have the promise that yet in this, the promises of God is not forgotten. In fact, Jesus says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you and falsely on my account. That's not joyful. There is a, a, pa a, a, a hundred pastors this week were jailed in China. Because they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't capitulate to what the government wanted to say. And they're in prison today. And one of the pastors says, I am gladly here in defiant disobedience because of my allegiance to Christ and the delight that I have and the promise that I have in him. So I can, I can, the sorrow I experience does not diminish the desire that I have for joy. I can rejoice and be glad because they can't do anything to me to take that joy away from me. They can take my body, they can hurt my family, they can take my honor, they can take my dignity, they can take my life if they want to. They cannot take the promise of the delight of joy with fellowship with God. And that is my desire that I long for. Not only persecution, but just sorrow, sickness, being in a world that's broken. Paul himself says, yet servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way as sorrowful, experiencing the effects of sin in a broken world, yet always rejoicing, that verbal form of joy. Why are they rejoicing? Because they have the promise of fellowship of God that is undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for us. So they rejoice. What else do they do? They, they're poor, yet they're making many rich because they're showing the treasure that's hidden in the field. 
and having nothing, possessing everything. You can take everything from me and I can be penniless and naked, but I have everything because of the promise that I have of fellowship with God for eternity. And take what you have and what you want now, you can't take it then. And that's where joy, that desire, moves us and pushes us and causes us to continue even though we experience weeping and pain and difficulty, sorrow cannot touch our eternal joy. What does Paul say? I consider that the sufferings of this world, this present time, bad choices I've made, living in a fallen world, are not worth comparing. This world will bring pain and difficulty and sorrow, and it will, we will be on the precipice of bitterness but if we could only, and what happens from us falling into the, 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 the uh, pit of despair, the joy of getting that foretaste of the glory of God that is promised to us through Christ. And that is what sustains us even when the world around us is bitter in difficulty. In the face of sorrow, we have the blessing of joy, for earthly sorrow does not diminish our desire for God. Then it continues, um, my second aspect of this desiring, desiring God is more satisfying than earthly treasures. I imagine when we talk about what, what do you jo take, find joy in, there have been times in your life that you have been like, this is where it's at. Maybe you're sitting, you're eating a delicious meal that you have been longing for, and you're like, man... I, this is good, or you're relaxing on the beach, or tender moments with your family, or physical pleasures, or soothing comfort, or the euphoria of a feeling, and, you, and what do you say when you experience those things? I wish, what? They would never end. Because you know that eventually your money's going to run out on that beach, and you have to go home to your job, and you have to do that, but for a moment, you're like, wow, this is good. I wish I could do this forever. Ocean Park, those who desire fellowship with God, there will be a day in eternity when we have the fullness of our joy and we will say, this joy will never end. Think about it. The well will never run dry. The riches of his grace will never be exalted. It will not be exhausted though the good things we enjoy in this world, they will. They inevitably do. But fellowship with God is satisfying and eternal and indestructible. Sometimes when people try to define joy versus happiness, they say, well, joy is eternal uh, and happiness is based on circumstances. And biblically, it's just not true. That's not the way it is. Joy and happiness and satisfaction and delight and gladness are all synonyms throughout Scripture. And the reason Christian joy is eternal and that the reason Christian joy will not end is not because of the nature of joy, it's because of the nature of the object of joy. God will never end. His goodness never runs out. The joy that we have in Christ is eternal and everlasting. John Piper, who honestly, if you get two of his books, Desiring God 
or when I don't desire God, how to fight for joy. They're both in our library. Get them, read them, study them. He goes far deeper into them than I do, and they're fabulous. He says this. What does he say? There will always be more of God to enjoy, which means there will always be holy desire forever. We will never get to the bottom of the joy that we have in desiring God. About a month ago, my uh, Anna uh, had, was in the state semifinal game, and they, they lost. And for the first time after a game, all the senior girls wept. Why? Because they knew the joy of playing volleyball with their friends at Christ Church Academy could never happen again. They could never go back to that source of joy, and that was good. That was four years of joy in playing and struggle and camaraderie. They could never go back to that joy again. But the promise of joy in God is this, that because God is eternal, His goodness never ends. Our joy, when it's fixed on Him and fellowship with Him, will never end because God never ends. You have put more joy in my heart than when grain and wine abound. These things here, these good things, don't have any comparison to the joy that I have in you. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Our hope that we saw several weeks ago in Lamentations, Jeremiah is watching the city in rubble and, and it's falling apart around him, and he goes back to his source of joy. The steadfast love of the Lord, what? Never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my delight. The Lord is my desire. I will hope in the promise that I have in Him. When we desire God, we are pursuing a joy that is eternal. Lewis put it this way. Put it this way. How sweet, all at once, it was for me to be rid of these fruitless joys which I had feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and you took their place. All those things that he had once uh, counted as gain, he now counts as lost. You who are sweeter than all pleasure, you who outshine all light, you who surpass all hope, O Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. Lewis knew that he, God, fellowship with him, that foretaste of glory, that end of which we were created, that we would find fellowship with God was better than anything this world could offer. The temporary joys, the fleeting joys, the fruitless joys. This is the same thing Jim Elliott knew back when he and four other missionaries got into a plane and left Wheat, the comforts of Wheaton, Illinois and flew to a remote tribe in the Ecuadorian countryside that were cannibals. And he went to bring them joy in who God is and he was ushered into endless joy because the end of a spear took him and his, uh, his 
fellow missionary's life, but he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Indestructible, eternal, infinite joy in fellowship with God. And he desired after that. And he desired to make that known and to let people know that hidden treasure. It's the same thing that Luther said, though the world rages to make you give up your joy, let good and kindreds go that mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, His kingdom is forever. And those who know the joy of fellowship with the king of that kingdom are willing to let go of lesser joys for infinite, eternal, everlasting joys. Brothers and sisters, we have a kingdom whose treasure is God himself. The source of eternal joy. The world can take our possessions. They can take our comfort. They can take our jobs. They can take our honor. They can even take our lives. But they cannot take our joy because there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Christian joy is found when you desire fellowship with God. Joy is a primary promise of Christmas. It's not found in pretty paper, pretty ribbons of blue. It's not found in your children laughing and giggling as they open their gifts. It is not found in your family and found in food. It's not found in the traditions that we cherish and love and that do bring us joy. The promise of joy is the promise of the manger. The manger whose path that leads to joy leads to the cross. Because it was at the cross where the very barrier to fellowship with God was destroyed. When the wrath of God was poured out on sin, the very sin that our father and mother were cast out of the garden from, they were cast out of the fellowship of God because they could not be in his presence because they were sinful and unholy. And therefore, at the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on our sin. Jesus was treated as we deserve. But that's the bad news. The good news is this. At the cross, those who put their faith in the work, the person, his perfect righteousness, and his obedience, his, his active obedience in fulfilling the law, loving the Lord with all his heart, soul, and mind, and his passive obedience, allowing the great king of glory to lay down his life and allow mere men to kill the author of life. Because of his obedience and his work and who he is, those who trust the promise of God that his, Jesus' work brings us back into fellowship with God. Not only does Jesus take our sin, but Jesus gives us his righteousness. And when Jesus gives us his righteousness, he declares there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we can enjoy the sweetness of fellowship with God for eternity. And as a result, we will realize the promise of indestructible, unfading, eternal joy. And like the angels said to fearful shepherds who 
this kind of thing doesn't happen to, and they realized they were not worthy to receive such a pronouncement. Fear not, Ocean Park, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All who find the treasure hidden in a field, the treasure of fellowship with God. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who redeems you from your sin, who is Christ, the promised one, the chosen one, the Messiah, who is Lord, who is King of that kingdom, whose fellowship is sweet and satisfying and pleasurable and delightful and worthy of our desire, the Lord, God of our life. Do you know, Ocean Park, the joy that is in Christ alone. You may know the joys that this world offers that will come to an end. Do you know the joy that is offered in Jesus Christ that you can boldly say with confidence the joy of the fellowship of God will never end? For Christian joy is found when you delight in and desire fellowship with God.